The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, church. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be on you this morning. Here at The Springs, we are a, a church that is being transformed. We are the people of God that's being transformed in the image of Christ so that many will find their way back to God. And we do that through gathering like we do here. We do that through uh, growing into the image of Christ and we do that through going by the power of his spirit into the world. And I wanna echo what Andy said this morning. You guys have been incredibly generous, especially over this season of the pandemic. We have been blessed by your generosity this, this community's been blessed by your generosity, and the, the larger community's been blessed by your generosity. So on behalf of the leadership, we want to thank you for your generosity, and we want to say this is a visible, it's at least partially a visible sign that we are continuing to grow and be transformed into the image of Christ because God is a generous God, and you guys have been generous, so thank you. This is the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of joy. And so we want to read our Advent text today out of Philippians chapter four, four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, as always, we give you thanks for your word. It is a privilege that you've spoken to us. And we are blessed by your word. So we ask, as we always do, that you give us ears to hear. For sometimes it's difficult to hear. But not only ears to hear, but hearts to follow, because our hearts are often divided. And not only hearts to follow, but lives that will obey. Because we're pulled in all kinds of directions. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul says, I say it again, rejoice. This past Friday night... I got a chance to go to the Thunder game with my daughter, Bella. We were, someone was very generous and offered us their tickets, and so we went, and it was a very special night because they were playing the Lakers. If you know anything about NBA basketball, right? LeBron James, and LeBron James actually played. I'm not a big Lakers fan, sorry for you Lakers fans out there, but it was pretty cool to be able to see LeBron James play. In fact, 
as we were driving up to the game, we noticed people in Lakers jerseys, and Bella said, you know what, I think there are more people in Lakers jerseys than Thunder jerseys. It's like, no, 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 you're just seeing a few. But sure enough, there were probably as many Lakers jerseys in the building as there were Thunder jerseys. Now, Oklahoma City lost, and they lost big time. And they've been losing all season if you keep up with the Thunder, so there wasn't much rejoicing going on during the game, except for half the crowd, which was rejoicing because of the Lakers in LeBron James's 33 points or some ridiculous amount that he scored. But what was interesting during the game is that, you know, during timeouts, they sometimes do the kiss cam. You know the kiss cam? Well, they didn't do the kiss cam. What they did was the dance cam, which I halfway wanted to show Bell and I on the dance cam. And then the thought of that terrified me at the same time. So luckily we weren't in a, in a seat where they were going to show us on the dance cam. But they showed a lot of kids on the dance cam. And kids were dancing and they'd, they'd go to different people and they were going to kids and they would, go to, uh, they would go to adults. And then they went to this kid that had a Thunder jersey on and he was probably about 10. And visibly you could tell this kid was a special needs kid. And he was dancing it up. And while nobody really cheered for anybody else, as soon as this kid came on, the one that was visibly had special needs and was just dancing and was full of joy, everybody started cheering and clapping. And then they cut away to someone else and all the cheering went away. So they went back to this kid that had special needs and he was just going after him. He was just dancing and people started cheering and clapping and they cut away and they stopped cheering. So finally they just went back to this kid, this one kid with special needs and he was going crazy and they started standing up. They started cheering. There was so much joy and this kid was just doing this. <laughs> just, at the, just looking right into the camera, just going That was the most joy that any Thunder fan had that evening. When Paul says rejoice, this is not a random emotion. When Paul's talking about joy, which he does a lot in the book of Philippians, this is not some random emotion. For, for Paul, rejoicing, it's, it's about perspective. It's to perceive things in a particular way. Rejoicing in the Lord requires that one be formed per, to perceive things in a particular way, ways that run counter to the conventional patterns of perception. It's to see the world the way God sees it. In that story at the Thunder game, they didn't clap for everybody, but everybody had this response to this special needs kid. And I think it's because we've been formed, and this is a good thing I think about our culture. Now there's a lot of things that weren't great at a Thunder game. 
right? But I'm going to talk about something that's really positive, and I think it's a positive cultural aspect that we've been formed to perceive that this, that who matters more in our society are perhaps the least. Not all the time, that doesn't happen. But we teach our children that. They're taught that in schools. And there hasn't always been a time when those with special needs have been treated and elevated. We know that to be true. And so you found the whole crowd rejoicing because they were formed to have a particular perception of the world. And when they saw this special needs kid, they're like, yes. That's right. Put the camera back on him. Let's let him lead. Let him be the one. He's the one that we should look at and applaud and celebrate. But he doesn't say just to rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now this word gentleness that they talk about, it's this word that comes in the translation forbearance. Right? It's this idea that this gentleness that you have restrained, that you're holding back. In other words, gentleness is restraint. You can click ahead a few slides if you want. Go ahead, two more. Good. One more. There we go. Gentleness is restraint. In other words, it's not giving others what they deserve. Or, another way to put it is that you give someone something regardless of merit. It's this idea that even though you may have a right to something, that you, it, he or she withholds their right for the sake of the goodness of the other. So something else happened at the Thunder Game. Lots of good sermon material happened at the Thunder Game. You know those cannons where they shoot the, the, the shirts? Well, we're way up on the upper deck. Well, they were shooting in our direction. And we were standing up, kind of back from the railing so we don't lean over and fall off like 20 feet to our death, right, trying to catch. But there's this guy in front of me Right? And Bella's standing next to me, and the cannon shoots, and the, he goes up to catch it, and he just goes right through his hands and falls right down. And I just walk over, and I grab, I grab it. And he looks at me, and he goes, here. And I said, <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I was like, dude, you dropped it, man. <laughs> That's not how this works. I'll just give it to you. And he goes, come on, man. I, I had it right in my hands. That's mine. And I was just like, and I just handed it to Bella. And he just went, oh, turn around. This is a grown adult. And so I looked at Bella, and I kind of thought, those T-shirts are like extra, extra large anyway. <laughs> She's not going to wear it. I'm not going to wear it probably. And I said, you can give it to him if you want. And the guy, she kind of touched, kind of looked at me, and then she touched the guy on the shoulder, and he was just like, and so he's like, it's up to you. Bella just held it, and she looked, and then she looks down at the, the lady who's sitting on the other side of him, and she's like, don't give it. 
deserve it. Don't give it to her. And then she looks at me. I was like, it's up to you. And she hands the t-shirt to the gentleman. That's gentleness. He didn't deserve that t-shirt. And Bella had every right to that t-shirt. But she let go of her right for someone else. This is the church's witness to the world. Go on to the next slide. The church's witness to the world is rejoicing and gentleness. That the church has the ability to perceive things in a particular way. They perceive the world in the way, that God, the way God sees it. And that gives witness to the world about, helps the world know how does God see the world. That's what it means to rejoice. It's not an emotion that happens, but it's seeing the world in a particular way and recognizing it. Like when we recognize that kid, it's like, yes, put the camera on that kid. And gentleness is this restraint. The Christians were known for, even though they had the right to something, they would give it up for the sake of others. Kind of like God. Kind of like Jesus in Philippians, right? Though, though he was God, he had the right to be God, it's not something he sent, just tried to grasp, but he made himself nothing. He gave up that right for the sake of you and I, for the sake of the whole world. The church's witness to the world is rejoicing and gentleness. Then he goes on in verse 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now let me say this right off, the, right off the bat. We talked about rejoicing. We've talked about being gentle. But I'm telling you, it is extremely hard to rejoice and be gentle when you are anxious and worried. Anybody have that experience? When your mind is distracted. In fact, the word anxious means to be pulled in different directions. And our loves and our hopes, they pull us in one direction, but our fears, they pull us in a different direction. And when I personally am anxious, it is difficult for me to see the world in a particular way. Actually, the problem is, is that my anxiety causes me to see the world only one way. It distracts me from seeing things differently the way God sees them. Think about the story of Joseph, who's pledged to be married to Mary, and she becomes pregnant. I don't know about you, but the amazing thing about Joseph's story is, there's only one way I'd probably see that, and I'd be pretty anxious about it. But Joseph actually sees it at least a little bit differently, enough to where he doesn't dismiss Mary. Think about the disciples with Jesus when he dies on the cross, pretty anxious, pretty worried. They can only see it one way. Time actually gives us the ability, you and I, we see that a little bit differently, don't we? 
Or think about our word worry, when you're worried. That actually comes from Old English, and Old English words, which means to strangle. And if you've ever experienced worry or stress, you know how it can strangle a person. Stress is not gentle on our bodies, and there are physical effects to worry and stress on our bodies. So here's a few. It can suppress your immune system. It can upset your digestive system. Cause you sleep problems. Weight problems. It raises, can raise your blood pressure. can cause heart disease. It can affect your thinking. And the memory causes problems with your memory. Stress and worry is not gentle on our bodies. It does not show restraint. But stress is not only, it's not gentle on our relationships either. There's effects that happen because of our relationships. Usually when we're stressed about circumstances, usually when we're stressed about something, it's because there are circumstances and outcomes that we can't control. Or we're not fully in control. Or we don't know for sure what the future is. So you tend to be focused really on those things. And what happens is, because you're so focused on that, and you, gotta, you can't control that, you tend to think, I'm going to control everything else around me. Did that ever happen to you? So let me ask if, when you're stressed and worried, if you've had this response to someone you're in a relationship with, whether it be a family member, a sibling, a friend, neighbor. Have you ever been stressed and you responded with, you're just annoyed at that person? And if you think about it, there's no real good reason to be annoyed. Like, I'm stressed, I'm worried, I'm thinking about this, I, 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 I've got to preach this morning, and somebody asked me a question, I'm like, not right now. You ever done that? I didn't do that this morning, by the way. But you can imagine it could happen to any number of situations. Or have you responded like this? You're stressed, you're worried, and you become really impatient with everyone around you. I won't ask you to raise your hand. What about this? Have you ever acted harshly? There's no good reason to act harshly. Have you ever lashed out? Probably a few weeks ago, I was at a stoplight. And as you do at a stoplight, I happened to look over at the car next to me. And there's a guy in his car at the stoplight, and he had a couple of kids in the back seat. It was just him, the driver's seat. He wasn't texting while driving. He was texting while sitting at a stoplight. And you could see he was very intent, focused, texting. And although I couldn't hear anything going on, you could see his face, and then all of a sudden, he did this. He turned around and just started yelling. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I could tell he was very annoyed at his kids. I thought, man, that dude is stressed. 
And I don't tell you that example to, <laughs> I don't tell you that example to shame that guy because you know you've been there. And if it's not with your kids, it's with your spouse, it's with your parents, it's with your friends, it's with your neighbors. Worry and stress can rob us of our capacity to rejoice. To see things in a particular way that God sees them. Worry and stress can rob us of our capacity to be gentle, to show restraint. But Paul says this. He says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We're tempted, as we are, being control freaks, we're tempted to manage our own anxiety and our own stress by ourselves. But for Paul, it seems to be that what he's saying is this, is that freedom from anxiety is not a matter of self-mastery, but of prayer. I've said this before, and I'm okay to say this over and over again, because I think if we're honest, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of you that are more like me. There's a lot of you that are really good at praying. I'm not saying they offer good prayers, but intuitively, they just, that's where they go. They're just praying people. I'm not great at prayer, the practice of prayer. When, I, when it's a discipline, I say, yeah, it's a discipline for me. But one of the things that's been a blessing for me at Oklahoma Christian, there's a group, pretty small group, that meets Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. up in the chapel. It's a time of morning prayer. And it's actually, we go through the lectionary and do, uh, it's actually the same kind of ritual every day. It involves scripture reading and singing scripture. And I really enjoy that. But really what I go for is the prayer because there's a time of silent prayer where there's a time where somebody leads, say, you know, hear our prayers in silent. We can offer those up. And then we offer up public prayers. And I love it because God already knows what we're going to pray for. But it goes like this. The rhythm of this prayer is that usually you just offer up one name, someone you're thinking about, or a circumstance. You say, Sally. And then all of everyone in the group says together, Lord, hear our prayer. Jim, Lord, hear our prayer. Another one says, Brandon. And then we all say, Lord, hear our prayer. Struggling students, Lord, hear our prayer. And what I love about morning prayer, and what I love about that, is that it just reminds me I'm not in control. God already knows. Whatever I'm anxious about or the people in that group are anxious about, whatever people are anxious about in there, it, it reminds me that my anxiety is not about me having self-mastery. It's about prayer. And I don't know why that moment does it more than any, but I think it's something about praying together. And I think 
It's good. You may experience this on a personal level, but I want to invite us. This is why we come and we pray together. We share those burdens. We share those anxieties. We share them with one another. We share them with God. And so I want to invite you, find people to pray with. One of the things we do in our small group is that we, we go around and we just say, hey, what's going on in each family? And we actually keep a prayer journal. And then we go over and we pray about that. And it's not all prayers for, but Paul says, don't be anxious, but everything pray. It's a bit therapeutic when you share your burdens with one another. When you share them with God. It reminds you, you know what? I'm not in control of all this stuff. And then he says this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace that transcends all understanding, it transcends our comprehension, our capability, and our recognition. You know, as I thought about this sermon, I, I was thinking about for most of the week, how do I, how do, what, what kind of example do I give about this kind of peace? How do I explain this kind of peace? And then after thinking about it for several days, it occurred to me, you can't. I cannot explain to you the kind of peace that God offers in Jesus Christ. The kind of peace that Paul is talking about. Because Paul says it is a peace that is a peace that transcends all human understanding. So if I could actually explain it to you, that means I could understand it. And if you could understand what I explained to you, it means you could understand it. And I'm sorry if I don't, you don't have all the answers you want today, but the text is pretty clear. It transcends your understanding and my understanding. Mystery of God. It's funny that there are a few, that there are things about God which transcend our understanding. Surprise. But here's what it also does. It transcends our own capabilities. This is not some inside job that you can manufacture. Like we just talked about with prayer. This is not something you master. This is not something you construct on your own. As the Stoics, who Paul is probably referring to here, the Stoics would try to master their lives and their bodies, their emotions, so they never got too high or too low, and so they never cared about anything. They were always just peaceful, just level. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, don't, he's not saying don't care. This is what the Stoics have to do. In order to have peace, they just don't care about anything. No. You are to care. And you're to care in this way, by praying about it. That's how you care. According to Paul, that's how you care. This is not something, that the peace that we manufacture on our own. This comes from God. And finally, and I want to recognize this, especially during the Christmas season. Some of you are like, yeah, Ben, I don't know if I experienced this peace. I don't know if I always experience this peace. Or what if I pray and I don't experience this peace? The peace is there whether we recognize it or not. And trust me, 
There are many times in my life where I don't feel that peace. But it doesn't mean it's not there. He says the peace of Christ will guard your hearts and your minds. It gives this imagery to when I was in Germany several years ago. And I went out to the ruins of a Roman garrison, a fort, that was on the frontier of the Roman Empire. This fort was there to keep the Germanic tribes from the north from invading. It was there to protect, to guard, to keep the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And I would imagine as I stood there in these huge ruins that there were many people in Rome during that time that had no idea that that garrison was up in Germany. They had no idea. And while they probably felt stress and worry and they didn't always feel safe and they don't always feel peace, that fort was there protecting them. There was peace. And so we may not recognize that they're there. We may not recognize God's peace, but it is there. Because the peace of God is on duty when we don't have to, so we don't have to anxiously be scanning the horizon for new threats all the time. The peace of God is on duty guarding for us. And all this is possible because of one little phrase. All the, the rejoicing, the gentleness, the don't be anxious, the prayer, it's all possible because it says that the Lord is near. In the Advent season, we celebrate the nearness of the Lord. It is both nearness in time and in space. We're anticipating Jesus coming into the world and his return. And it's appropriate during the season of Advent that we celebrate around tables like this because it's here at the table that we believe that the Lord is present. When we come to these tables, it's like a rehearsal that gets us ready for Advent. It's a rehearsal for the love of God that is coming. Because at the table, we practice rejoicing. This is the place where we are formed to perceive things differently. To see the world as God sees it. At the table, we practice gentleness. We are gentle with one another at the table because God has been gentle with us. At the table, we practice prayer. We petition God. We give our requests to God. We offer up thanksgiving, which is, Christians call this the Eucharist, which means the thanksgiving. And we anticipate the day when anxiety and worries will all cease. And at the table, we are reminded of God's peace, even if we don't understand it. The love of the Lord is near. And the Lord is near to us at these tables. For these tables are a small taste of the large feast that we will gather around one day where rejoicing happens, where there is gentleness, where the Lord's presence is fully known and felt, and where all worries and anxieties will vanish, and we will find 
God's joy and his peace. Let's stand together. Welcome to the table 